Welcome to Disclaimers Aside, a podcast where I share the raw and honest stories of people in my community, Disclaimers Aside. I'm your host, Aisada Amadou, and let's dive into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast episode. I am currently back and recording in my studio at Santa Cruz. This is a mock-up studio. I always say like I'm in the studio. Um, Usually that's either recording at home or at school. And when I record at school, I record in a podcast room that they actually have in the basement of the library. Kind of cool. I'm not gonna lie, when I first discovered that they had podcasting rooms here at UC Santa Cruz, That was kind of like one of the final pushes where I was like, okay, it's actually finally time for me to do this and start a podcast. But I'm so excited to be back on campus. I actually arrived yesterday morning and I kind of hit the ground running. Like my flight landed around 9 a.m. I Ubered back to campus. I dropped off my stuff. I went grocery shopping, hung out with Sophia. We grabbed lunch. We went to the library. We studied like literally hit the ground running because just a little school update next week is midterms midterms are happening and they're in person and i'm very nervous for them just because in-person exams thankfully one of my exams is open note the other one's closed note and then i have like just an assignment that i need to get done by the end of the week so it's just going to be a really busy week Today is Sunday as I'm recording this, and it is the last day of January. Yeah, it's been a month of disclaimers aside, which I just want to take a moment to thank you guys all for all of your support, Um, especially on the podcast Instagram. Thank you to everyone who's been listening to these episodes, leaving reviews, leaving comments, and just sharing the podcast with people in, in your life. I genuinely really, really appreciate it, and I'm so glad that the podcast Instagram kind of exists as a platform for me to kind of interact with you guys because with podcasting, it's a little different from YouTube. There isn't really a direct comment section where I can kind of like see your guys' immediate like thoughts and feedback. Um, So I appreciate the people that kind of took the time to follow at Disclaimers Aside on Instagram and just participate in the conversation. But I'm very excited for the month of February. February is traditionally a very short month, but it's also Black History Month. So a lot of very, very exciting conversations that are going to hopefully be had over on my YouTube channel. I am going to be posting a video recommending books featuring Black stories or by Black authors that I think you guys should read. So youtube.com slash Amadou if you don't want to miss out on that. But just keep in mind with us going into Black History Month that the conversations that we are going to have and that level of activism that you have during this month, you need to match during every other month of the year. This is not just meant to be a one-month thing. Black History Month is a month where we can kind of reflect on the movement and all of the aspects that kind of go into that. But as a whole, these conversations, these efforts need to be matched throughout the year. So just keep that in mind, a little PSA. I'm going to get off my soapbox now because today we have a very exciting guest. I always say that, but like I'm genuinely really, really excited, especially for this 
episode because it's the first time that I have a fellow Mauritanian on the podcast. Um, Bintu Waiga is a Mauritanian content creator. She used to be on YouTube um, and she's in the process of becoming a doctor, which is honestly such an incredible feat. She immigrated from Mauritania when she was, I want to say 11 or 12, and she started her YouTube channel in 2016, but since then has kind of made the decision to leave YouTube. It's something we talk about in today's conversation, and it's something that in general we don't really talk about too much on the internet, um, that, you know, content creation is such a fun job, but at times it can become draining, and I think it's important to know your boundaries and know when it's time to take a step back. So today we're going to be talking about what the process is like to go into the medical field, to become a doctor, some of the misconceptions about the medical industry and some of the things that you may not think of. Um, So I'm hoping this can be a great resource for someone who is thinking about going into the medical industry and wants to just know a little bit more about the process because it can be a long process, a fruitful one, but a long process. And also we're just going to be talking about what it's like balancing a demanding full-time job with content creation and how it's not for everyone and, and it's not as easy as it seems. So yeah, with that, let's just go ahead and dive right into the conversation. So welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this week? I feel I feel like I had a really good week compared to like all the other weeks that I've had. Like I feel like the last two, three weeks I was really struggling um, mental health wise, but I feel like this week was, it was like on the up and up. It was really good. That's really good to hear. And what is one thing you want to change about this upcoming week? Ooh, I think, so I started crocheting the last like couple of months And I want to do it more often than I have been. So I've been picking it up like maybe every other week because I think I get intimidated by new hobbies or new things that I pick up because I'm not immediately good at it. But I think I want to pick up crochet more often this coming week just to do it more and to get better at it. That's really cool. It's funny because I feel like I've had quite a few people in my life actually start crocheting with the new year. So I feel like it's definitely a hobby that quite a few people are picking up. And I think in general, it's really good to just have hobbies that you have going on in your life that are not necessarily tied to any type of monetization, just hobbies that you do for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, like, (laughs) exactly. I was just talking to one of my friends about that, like, removing this idea, this like very capitalistic idea that the hobbies that we do have to like make us money or be seen as like really productive doing something just because you like it whether for me that's like reading or doing crochet or working on my bullet journal whatever it is something that you do that you might not even share on on social media right that you just keep for yourself because it's something that you enjoy yes i love that something i want to focus on this upcoming week is definitely my sleep schedule just because i just got back to campus and i feel like anytime i'm at home my sleep schedule is so bad and i just noticed that Like, when I have my sleep schedule in check, everything else in my life kind of falls into place. No, I feel that. I feel like every weekend, like, I struggle to keep the same sleep. Like, during the week, because I have rotations and I have to either be at at the clinic or at the hospital at a certain time, I know that I have to be up at a certain time, so I go to sleep at a certain time. And I agree, like, because I go to sleep and I you know get enough sleep and I feel well rested I feel like my day goes goes better 
but on the weekends because it's like more free flowing um especially on rotations where i don't have to be anywhere on the weekends i'm not on call i don't, I don't have to do like a 24-hour shift or anything crazy like that like i'm i don't know it's just, it's a struggle so i feel that and i hope you are able to get more sleep <laughs> Thank you. And I know with your job, it is difficult to kind of have that consistent sleep schedule. But as you mentioned, like, it's really nice on the weekends to like, say on a Saturday or Sunday, not set an alarm and just sleep in and give yourself that time. It's definitely really nice. It's when I catch up on my sleep and I, I am very grateful because I love to sleep. So what are you currently reading? Ooh, okay. So I'm one of those people that reads multiple books books at a time um so right now i am reading i think it's like happily ever after it's like a ya romance novel um i am listening to uh in every mirror she's black and um i'm about to start seven days in june by tia williams which is like highly anticipated i've been seeing it everywhere on on book talk on youtube on instagram so i'm, I'm really excited to read it people seem to really enjoy it yeah, I'm also the same way. I like to have like multiple books at one time, like one, as you said, as you mentioned, to listen to on audio, one to have a physical copy, but I haven't heard of the first two. So I'm going to have to write those down. And the last one I've heard of, and I've heard really good things of it. I think I've seen it at Target. Yes, I actually got my copy from Target. It was on sale. I'm currently listening to Know My Name by Chanel Miller on audio. It's so, so good. As for my physical copy, I'm reading All My Rage by Saba Tahir. I like just started this one. That's good. I haven't heard of either of those actually. Yeah, I'm going to add those to my Goodreads. Know My Name is really good. It's definitely a tough read. Trigger warning for sexual assault because it's dealing with the Stanford swim case from a couple of years back. So it's definitely it's definitely a tough, tough read, but I feel like a necessary read. Okay, so disclaimers aside, what is one unpopular opinion you have? Oh, oh my gosh. What's one unpopular opinion that I have? So this is, I guess, more geared toward the Muslim community. Um, and I feel like there's always really hot debate about um, hijab specifically for women. Because I feel like a lot of people associate hijab to mean like, the cloth we wear on our heads, right? But in, in reality, hijab means modesty in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we treat other people. And I guess one of my unpopular opinions is that you don't have to wear hijab to be a good Muslim. Like, I feel like a lot of times, I don't know, I feel like even though I am hijabi and I know I said that you are too, a lot of times we make it seem like every Muslim woman has to work toward wearing a hijab right that that's like the ultimate um symbol of like having your faith and your iman together but i don't necessarily think that like i think you can never wear hijab your whole life and still have a really strong relationship with allah and really and really like stand strong in your faith without having to have that symbol wow you said it perfectly i 100 percent agree with this unpopular opinion and I feel like in general, not Islam, but the Muslim community, those are two different things. But the Muslim community can focus so much on certain aspects of the religion that aren't necessarily like written as like the, f the forefront of the faith, right? Wearing the hijab is an important aspect of the religion, but it's not everything. It's not, you know, one of the five pillars of Islam. And it's just one aspect of faith. 
So I really love that you said that and I couldn't agree more with you. All right, so getting into the interview questions, give the audience a two-minute elevator pitch about yourself. What do you want them to know? as some of the people listening may not have ever seen your content before. My name is Ashetu, actually, um, but on the internet, on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube at some point, I went by Bintuega. Bintu is actually the name that my mom gave me. Um, if you're not familiar with Mauritanian culture, at least my culture, um, when someone is born in Mauritania, they basically get one name from their mom and one name from their dad. Um, so Aishetu is the name that my dad gave me and Bintu is the name that my mom gave me. I am currently a fourth year medical student. I graduate in May in just a couple of months, which I'm very excited about. And I will officially be a doctor after all these super long years. Um, I'm interested in family medicine because uh, it allows me to do a lot. It allows me to see men, women. It allows me to see children and um, adults. And it allows me to like tailor my practice to what I want to do, which is specifically working with underrepresented communities, including um, black women, um, people from the LGBTQ community, and a Muslim woman in the area that I live that has a lot of a pretty big Muslim population. I have goals to give back to Mauritania to have my own clinic there at some point. And I have two very beautiful and chaotic cats, Luna and Soul. And I enjoy reading, crocheting, watching movies, and going on walks. Wow, mashallah. And congratulations on almost being done with you know, finally working towards becoming a doctor, that's no easy feat. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been it's been a journey. <laughs> so what would you say your childhood was like growing up in Mauritania? When I was very young, my my mom and dad decided to get a divorce um, and they both eventually got married. But I feel like for the majority of my childhood, I remember um, after my dad moved to the States, um, I stayed back with my mom for a few years. So I remember living with my mom and her being a single mom mom and kind of working really hard to make sure that my siblings and I had everything that we needed but otherwise I feel like at least to me just felt like a regular childhood right going to school you know watching soccer with my mom things like that visiting friends playing with cousins like it just felt like a normal childhood to me up until I moved to the states when I was just 12 which was a culture shock is an understatement. But yeah, I feel like it was a, a regular childhood of just in a different part of the world. I cannot hone in on the culture shock enough because, you know, my parents lived in Mauritania. They were born and raised in Mauritania and they didn't move here till their adult life. But my mom always kind of like touches on the fact that it is so different moving from Mauritania, you know to the United States. Yeah. So what would you say your experience was like moving from Mauritania to the United States, given that it is so culturally different? So for context, I did not speak English when I moved to the States. Like I said, I was 12. Um, I was pretty young. I spent most of my life, the majority of my life at that time with my mom. Um, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time with my dad because by, from when I could remember, he had basically moved to the States. So 
one moving going from living with my mom full-time to now living with my dad and um, my half siblings like that was very different for me and also not speaking the language at all and having to kind of start over was very rough it made it really hard to have a community here because I didn't speak the language they didn't speak my language and so I think I automatically became in school like the weird kid who didn't speak English and kind of unfortunately was bullied a lot um moving here just because I was different and kids are kids can be mean (laughs) so I feel like that part was really difficult and just overall I think missing my mom um going away from something that was so familiar to me to moving somewhere that felt so strange and and everything felt strange everything from the way the the language and everything from the language to the food that people ate to the fact that it snowed here um and it was really cold during some months it was just different and the sense of community was lacking for me not only because i didn't speak the language but because it's just different in mauritania you could go over to your cousin's house every single day it felt like there was always someone coming over to my mom's house we, we always had people over and here it's just different because people are working a lot more things are more fast-paced here and it just wasn't that same sense of community so i remember feeling really lonely and really sad like the first few months that I was here. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. One of the things that from visiting and just hearing about what it's like over there, one of the things that I really value about Mauritanian culture is that in Mauritania there's kind of this like open door policy and like the way that society is structured, multiple like families live together and so there are always kind of people surrounding you. There's always just a lot of light and laughter And in the United States, it's very, very different from that. Traditionally, the family, it's like one family unit in one house. And that can be very isolating, especially at such a young age. Yeah, I think open door policy is a really good way to describe Mauritanian culture. Like people come over just all the time. Like you said, multiple multiple families would live together and you just, there was always some type of noise there's always some type of commotion and i know to some people that might sound bad but you get used to always having that community essentially being like the background noise that you always had and at first things just felt very quiet here in a way that was really uncomfortable you definitely do kind of get used to like what you grow up in right so For a lot of people listening that are not used to that experience, like it may seem a little weird, but it it really is such a great environment. It's like the whole saying that it takes a village to raise a child. Like that is what Mauritania embodies. Yes, absolutely. Did the United States live up to or disappoint your expectations based on like what you saw in the media, what you saw in like movies and TV shows and what you heard about it? Um, I think before moving to the States, maybe I had this idea of the United States just being this country of abundance, which honestly, anyone who has like cousins or family back home, every time you talk to them, they'll ask for iPhones or money or just things that might seem ridiculous but I had that same idea that the U.S. was just a place where money was abundantly available and you could get whatever you wanted and buy whatever you wanted which in reality is not the case right there are certain structures here for example being able to take out a loan to buy a car 
Whereas in Mauritania, like if you want to buy a car, you have to come up with the money there and there or a phone. You can't go to the market and like borrow a phone and make monthly payments on it. You have to have the amount that you need for that whatever item that you're buying. So I think there's that disconnect that you can't really take out loans there, whereas you can here. So when people see you with a certain car or with a certain phone, they think because over there you have to have the money that you have, you've basically paid it all up front, which is not the case. So I had that same mentality. But I think at that moment, maybe it did exceed my expectations. But I think the more that I live here, the more that I see the flaws, right? That there are certain inequalities and in, in social justice issues here that the US is not as perfect as maybe I once thought when I was younger. That even though you might have access to certain material things, like being able to own a car or have a, or have a certain iPhone number or be able to afford a certain type of house or apartment, that there are other things and other issues societally that I think disappoint me at this point in my life. I completely agree. The word that you used, abundance, I feel like the way that the U.S. can portray itself in the media is that this is a country of abundance. You know, it's a country of, quote unquote, the American dream. When in reality, that is such a false narrative and it completely erases the fact that in order to have the 1%, you have this huge system of inequality. It's so easy to like idealize the U.S. Even people that grow up in the U.S. that grow mm-hmm. up in kind of like a place of privilege, they never really leave the country. It's so easy to kind of look at all of these quote-unquote third world countries and p- like pick at other countries like from the seams. But in reality, when you look at the issues that other countries face they're universal issues that a lot of countries face so many people say like don't waste your food they're starving kids in africa they're starving kids down the street yeah you know poverty is everywhere so to me that narrative is just one that is so false and that not only does the u.s kind of feed to other countries but the u.s kind of feeds to the young generations and it's something that you have kind of grow out of that mindset and I, yeah, exactly. And I think it's hard to be able. It's hard to communicate that to people who have never been to the state, like to the states. You have to. It'd be like trying to explain, like you mentioned earlier, Mauritanian culture to someone who's never been to Mauritania. It's just different. So yeah, I had similar expectations moving here that I I don't think were any different from ones that maybe my cousins who live in Mauritania now might have of the states, just because of the way that the U.S. is portrayed. So when did you realize you wanted to become a doctor? So my very first memory in medicine was my last sibling, my youngest sibling, Halima. So when my mom was pregnant with her, I was still pretty young, like maybe eight or nine. But I remember my mom went into labor um, and she wasn't able to get to the hospital. And I, at that very young age, like was right next to my mom as she was giving birth on our like in our living room. And for a really long time, that's what I would cite as like the reason for um, wanting to go into medicine, because that's just one of the very formative experiences that I've had. Um, It is probably one of the very first memories that I remember very vividly. Um, So I definitely have to give credit to that. But I think also growing up with my mother and just seeing how 
she encouraged all of us one to pursue education and to value education um in whatever fields that we wanted to go in right she didn't it wasn't a situation where we were forced to go into one field or another so i think her valuing education and kind of passing that on to us was really important and informative for me um and i think when i moved to the states it, it was a a situation where I started to notice that some of my skills and and my passions were lining up. So I was always really good at like the STEM subjects, right? The sciences, the biologies. Um, And I really enjoy working with people and being around people and being able to see someone from maybe being admitted to the hospital, not feeling very well, like being really bad and in bad condition and being able to help them recover to the point where they don't need the machine to help them breathe or they don't need tube feeds. They can kind of eat on their own. Like seeing that progression is always really amazing to me. Wow, that's that's truly incredible. And I think in anything you do in life, it's always important to keep the why, to keep your mission and your purpose and your intent in mind because that's kind of what moves you through the different stages of whatever long-term goals you need. Yeah. And I think it's it's so important that we have more doctors of color and Muslim doctors in the field. And you are in such a unique position to where you can take your skills and bring it back to Mauritania and really help out there. Just because I know from just from seeing it and having family members that live there, that the healthcare system could use all the help that it could get. It really can. And I think exactly like having your why, as you mentioned, it has helped to push me through on days where I didn't necessarily feel like studying or I didn't want to, you know, watch that lecture or go to class. It's always important to think back to what my long-term goals are. And part of my long-term goals is to be able to go back to Mauritania and contribute in whatever way I can, you know, without trying as hard as I can to not have this like savior mentality but being able to go back and just be actually be a part of the community and see whatever what the community needs and being able to contribute back to it is really important but yeah I mean Mauritania's healthcare system is definitely very flawed as is the United States right and I don't know if in my lifetime I'll be able to see Mauritania's healthcare system kind of be where I would love for it to be which is a space where if you need medical attention you can go and regardless of your ability to afford it or not you can get the medical attention that you need but the reality is a lot of the healthcare system in Mauritania has been privatized and you have to be very rich to be able to afford a lot of that healthcare so I think my goal is to eventually bridge that gap and give people access to healthcare regardless of if they can pay for it or not. So as someone who knows nothing about the medical field, walk me through the process of what it takes to, you know, become a doctor. Oh, gosh. Okay, so in the, it's different based on where you live, right? In certain countries, they basically combine undergrad and um, medical school together so that you can do it in six or seven years. So it depends on where you're from. But in the United States specifically, you would do after high school, you would go to college and do four years of undergrad. You can essentially major in anything as long as you fulfill certain requirements. So a lot of medical schools will say that you have to have organic chemistry and you have to have biochem and biology and chemistry, so on and so forth. So you could, you know, technically major in like English or arts as long as you 
fulfill those requirements, you would be eligible to go to medical school. So I went to undergrad um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I majored in biology and I also studied Spanish and peace and justice studies because I was really interested in those things. And then after your four years of undergrad, you would take the MCAT, which is, I think it's like the medical college um, entrance exam or assessment test or something like that. After you take that exam, then that determines essentially whether they accept you or not. Unfortunately, standardized exams play a big role in the medical school process. And I say unfortunately because it, that's not, it doesn't make it very accessible to everyone, right? Not everyone has access to all the money that you need to take standardized exam. Not everyone is good at standardized exams, right? So, and standardized exams are inherently racist. It's something that's been proven over and over again. But after you take the MCAT, you then apply to medical schools, which again is very expensive. Every school is like $30 or something like that. I don't know if it's changed. After you get into medical school and you kind of choose what medical school you want to you know there's an interview process a selection process all that after you decide what medical school you go to that's another four years so four years in undergrad four years in medical school and you're taking a board exam after your first two years of medical school and then you take another board exam after your third year of medical school and this is all assuming you pass all those board exams during your fourth year of medical school you start applying to what's called residency which is basically after you graduate from medical school, you are technically now a doctor, but you're like a doctor in training. What that means is that you are you do have your own patients and you are treating your own patients. However, you have other doctors who are more experienced, who have been in the field longer than you, who supervise you and essentially make sure that the orders you're putting in and the way that you're treating the patients is safe for everyone involved. And depending on what specialty you go in, the number of years that you spend in residency is different. So for example, for family medicine, it's three years. For surgery and pediatrics, it's four years and so on and so forth. So because I'm going into family medicine, I have three more I have three years of residency that I have to do essentially after medical school and then I can practice on my own without any supervision. I know that was a lot, <laughs> um, but the whole process is very complicated and and sometimes a bit annoying. It definitely is a process, and I think that for anyone listening who's thinking about possibly going into the field, it's important to kind of know all of the logistics because even though I personally don't ever foresee myself going into the medical field, it's definitely a process that I've always been so so confused about. I just hear everyone say that it's a lot of years of study. And it is. And like I said, it's very expensive. And it's honestly, you mentioned earlier how we need more doctors of color. And I agree. I absolutely do. But it's not always accessible to everyone. And that's part of, I think, what the generation of doctors that you know my generation of doctors is hopefully trying to get rid of is all these roadblocks and steps you know if you think about you have to go to undergrad okay that means you have to have access to either money or you know scholarships to be able to afford undergrad and then after undergrad you have to pay for the MCAT after the MCAT you're paying to apply to medical schools and then you have to be able to afford medical school itself and you know so there's a lot of roadblocks and you know the board exams that I mentioned earlier the first board exam was $660 and the seven, the second board exam is $660 and god forbid you don't pass 
either of those you have to repay to take it over and over again so it's it's a long it's a lot of years and i think it's very rewarding to be a part of this field but i think i also have to recognize that i'm in a very privileged position where i've been able to go through all these years and be able to afford it um whether that's through scholarships or loans or just having support around me to help me get through it but it's definitely not as accessible as I want it to be and I think that has a lot to do with why we don't have as many black doctors or Muslim doctors as we want right now. That's a really good point and it, it, it truly is sad to see but unfortunately a lot of higher education is a privilege. It requires a privileged or lucky position so it, it definitely sucks to see that you know, systems that are based on standardized testings, they inherently work against, you know, people of color and a lot of other kind of intersectionalities. I, I mean, I don't necessarily see that changing in any of our lifetimes, but I think as long as it's, it's just important to know that those factors are at play. Exactly. Yes, we both agree that um, there are roadblocks and I don't want anyone who's listening right now to get discouraged because there are scholarships and there are programs that will kind of help you be able to fund it. So it's not impossible, especially if you are a first generation student like I am, it's not impossible to do it, but it's just something to keep in mind and that you might have to do a little bit more planning um, or just think about it a little bit more before embarking on the journey. And I think in the end, it's definitely worth it, right? Maybe I'm a little bit biased because I am in a medical field, but I think it's just something to consider and something to think about. Yeah. And what would you say keeps you motivated throughout the years to continue working towards you know, becoming a doctor. So we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier about remembering like my why. And for me, I think ultimately it's wanting to help my mom be able to retire. That's always at the top of my list. And I think furthermore, being able, wanting to give back to the community, right, that I come from, the community that supported me all these years, the community that keeps me going in Mauritania. I think that's really important for me. A lot of people don't touch on this, right? But I think we have to be honest about one of the motivating factors to go into medicine being the money. Um, after you do go through all these years, the hope and the, the knowledge and part of what keeps people going is also knowing that you will be compensated pretty well, regardless of the field that you go in, that you will be cons- compensated monetarily after you're done. And because we live in a capitalistic society where money does matter, that is a motivating factor that I think a lot of people are not honest about because it's seen as more no to say that you know I want to make a difference and I want to help people and those are all things that I want to do and that I value but I think I also have to be honest for the fact that knowing that I will be paid well in a few years also helps to to keep you going when you don't necessarily feel like going on that particular day or week or month and those will definitely happen as you're going through this journey. That is so true. I think that financial stability is important for a lot of people. You would be in a place of privilege to sit here and kind of say that it doesn't impact your thought process behind like what field career or field you want to go into. But I'm glad that doctors are well compensated for all of the time and just the the years that you dedicate 
to study that goes into that process. It's important. So what advice do you have for someone that is thinking about going into medicine? My first piece of advice is to take everyone's advice with a grain of salt, right? Which seems kind of counterintuitive. But what I mean by that is that you're, you're going to get a lot of advice on the best way for you to study and you're going to get a lot of advice on which school is which school is the best for you and what specialty you should go in and just understanding that everyone who's giving you these pieces of advice their 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 advice although it may be coming from a good place is also you know tinted with their experiences their fears their motivations so taking everyone's advice with a grain of salt i think it's really important secondly remembering why you want to go into medicine um i just mentioned money and i think that's something that people may go into medicine thinking but you honestly don't see the money for years you know even though you do get paid when you get to residency it's a fraction of the salary that you'll have after the fact so just remembering your why is really important beyond the money the third piece of advice is kind of twofold don't forget your hobbies and the things that make you feel human outside of medicine surround yourself with community that is supportive of you that you can lean on throughout this process because it can be such a draining process and especially now that we are have been experiencing this pandemic for two going on three years it's it's especially draining now i think if you're in if you're in school still having to sit through those zoom classes day in and day out and if you're out of school having to care for patients who are on ventilators who may be dying so just remembering your why and having a community to lean on i think will make those days a little bit easier to deal with those are all great pieces of advice that i think that you can take whether you're going into the medical field or whether you're kind of pursuing any other career path what would you say has been the most surprising aspect of pursuing medicine one we already kind of touched on is the cost of everything and how expensive everything can be right and i think the second thing would be just how draining it can be sometimes and fulfilling at the same time right it's draining and that you you meet people from all walks of life and you meet people when they're the most vulnerable and i think that makes it both very draining because you are sometimes put in positions where there is not much that you can do unfortunately and you're having to help people plan for the end of their life whether that's recommending them to go to hospice or palliative care but you're also with people in the most joyous moments in their lives whether that's the fact maybe they're having a baby or um, their cancer is finally gone away or you're seeing them after surgery and they're feeling better or someone broke a leg and they just got done with um, physical therapy and now they are able to walk again you're able to see people triumph these really amazing things that happen in their lives so it's kind of twofold and I think Every day after clinic or after coming back from the hospital, I have to be very intentional to use kind of the drive between the hospital and my apartment to decompress and try not to bring those things home because it can be really easy to do. And it's part of the reason why so many people in the medical field burn out and why there's unfortunately such a high suicide rate among both medical students and physicians. When you as a regular person just go to the doctor, you kind of look at the doctor as like the person who knows how to fix anything but we have to remember that doctors are humans and we don't know everything about 
you know, the diseases and the things that impact our health on a daily basis. And I'm sure also with the pandemic, that pressure has only grown. Oh, yeah. And I I think that especially in the U.S. and the type of medical uh, system that we have, sometimes you can't do anything because of really stupid things like the insurance won't approve a certain um, procedure or a certain operation and there's not a whole lot as a doctor you can do and I think all those things can take a toll on you and again it's a very rewarding field but I think we just have to be a little bit more honest about how draining it can be and like you said especially now during this pandemic it's it's definitely been really rough for sure recently you did make the decision to leave YouTube not everyone might know but been too used to post vlogs i used to love your content can you walk me through how and why you came to that decision recently yeah first of all thank you and i i loved making those vlogs and i think they were always very therapeutic for me to make but i think i haven't i haven't posted anything on youtube in like the last six months and it's a decision that's taken me that full six months to really come to terms with but i think the first thing is that i outgrew that hobby right youtube at the end of the day was a a hobby for me something that i really enjoyed to do throughout medical school and even a little bit in undergrad and i've been doing it for six years so a very long time but i think as a person i've kind of outgrown that um the things that i used to enjoy about making videos started to fade and I I found myself focusing more and more on what I think are the wrong things. I started hyper-focusing on the number of subscribers. I started hyper-focusing on the views on each video and on you know how many comments and how many likes. Whereas at the beginning of having this channel, I really just loved the actual process of vlogging. I loved the process of editing and putting a video together and choosing just the right song. And, you know, I started to lose some of that and it became a source of stress rather than a source of, you know, joy. And I think that I struggled a very long for a very long time to actually be able to let go of the channel because for me, um, it felt like quitting was almost a failure, right? If you're type A, you might relate to this, but I think it's it's okay to outgrow certain hobbies and certain things that we used to do if they no longer bring us joy and it's something that we can afford to walk away from. I think it's okay and I'm still giving myself room to go back to YouTube if one day I feel called to it or if I don't go back to YouTube, I, I try to remind myself that it's okay and I still have all of those memories that I did, you know, while making videos and all the people that I connected and met through YouTube, including you um, and a bunch of other people that I met through YouTube that I still keep in touch with. But yeah, it was not an easy decision. It's something that I think still makes me sad when I think about it. But I think ultimately it was the right decision for myself and for my mental health and for where I am right now in life. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I just want to say, I feel like we just don't hear enough about that is like people leaving YouTube. And I think there's this perception when you're a viewer that making YouTube videos is easy, but it's very easy to get burnt out. It's very easy to become obsessed with numbers and for that to kind of dictate everything down to your mood it can impact your persona and you have to figure out how you're going to draw the line between that and just not let that get to you because it can be very very challenging at the end of the day 
YouTube served you for the six years that you were on YouTube. That's a long time to be making content. And that was very admirable of you to recognize that in yourself that this is not serving me in the way that it used to serve me anymore. And I'm just going to, you know, redirect my life and focus on things that are actually serving me. I think finally having the courage to let go of YouTube because it wasn't serving me anymore allowed me to make room for like other things in my life that now bring me so much joy. Like I have more time to read now. I can explore other hobbies like crocheting and maybe watching new shows and i still love watching vlogs like i was just watching um i think you just uploaded a book haul today i was just watching that before we started recording i still enjoy that and i think making videos for so long allows me to appreciate like every time i see a video from my favorite content creators knowing the amount of work and especially the emotional labor that goes into their content but yeah i think i just i started to feel like this content machine that i had to put out a video within a certain number of weeks or the algorithm would forget me i just i started to get bogged down about everything rather than the process of creating content and it just it became another source of anxiety for me. It was time for me to step away from it from now. I agree. I'm kind of at the point in my life where I have decided that like the moment that, you know, content creation stops being a joy for me, it's something that I want to step away from because it's just not worth it at that point. Like yeah. all of the work, everything that you pour into it, if it's not genuinely bringing you joy in your life there's just no point in it anymore yeah we'll see i don't know and i'll always have love for creating content for youtube and like i said i'm leaving the door open if i want to go back to it i can and if i get to a moment again where i want to explore it and it's starting to bring me joy again i'm i'm not completely opposed to starting a new channel and starting over and having hopefully like a better mindset around it yeah and recently I saw you started a new bookstagram. I would love if you could shout that out, kind of talk about the intention behind starting that because I, I was excited to see that. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I was able to make room for when I quit YouTube. And for me, I, st I fell in love with reading again. I think throughout the first couple of years of medical school, I was so bogged down with studying that I didn't have time to read. So more recently when I've had a little bit more free time and I'm I'm reading books that just bring me so much joy that I literally am like sitting on my couch or in my bed smiling at a book because it's bringing me so much joy and I wanted to be able to document that for myself and I think that's the big um that's the key difference between kind of making content for YouTube for me right now and that bookstagram that I started and it's at Bintu Reads, B-I-N-T-O-U Reads. I think the main difference was that I started this like for myself. I wanted to document what I was reading to be able to look back on it and saw like what I thought about certain books and what I was reading and to see how my reading tastes will change over the next couple of years. Um, but it's been really fun for me to kind of just read whatever I wanted and be able to document it and kind of hear other people's thoughts on the books that I'm reading or recommendations that they have and so on and so forth. I love that. And what's great about Instagram is you can kind of build a community in a way that can be really, really rewarding. So that's really exciting. Yeah. And I found it's not as like time consuming as YouTube was, but it's still giving me that similar joy of like creating content or like taking 
the cute picture and like editing it in a way that looks nice and like is aesthetic and putting it on Instagram like it's still giving me that same joy without taking up as much space um, in my brain and as much time in my day so it's something that I'm really excited to to keep doing and to see how it grows in the future. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. And where can everyone find you on social media? Okay, so other than my bookstagram, Bintu Reads, I also have my personal Instagram. Um, it's just Bintu Wega, B-I-N-T-O-U-W-A-I-G-A. The same on TikTok right now. And maybe one day I'll also see you guys on YouTube again. I look forward to seeing all of the direction that you grow in. Make sure everyone to check out all of her social media. And I just want to say, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your story. I think that there's just a lot that people could gain from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to do it. And thank you for creating this platform and having your platform on YouTube as well. Like, I still remember feeling really excited when I found you on YouTube because I'm like, oh my gosh, another... Mauritanian YouTuber and I knew you were Mauritanian just based on your name which was really funny to me but yeah it's just really cool that we're having this little community and I hope that more Mauritanians find this content and we're able to kind of build our own little section on the internet. So thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation that you guys gained something from it. If there's anyone that you think would even remotely learn something from this conversation, make sure to share this episode with them. Also, make sure to share on your Instagram stories if you're listening to the podcast and tag me over on the podcast Instagram. It's at disclaimers aside. I'll have the link to my podcast Instagram in the show notes along with all of my social media handles, Bintu's social media handles. Definitely check out her content. It's phenomenal. If you're listening on the podcast app, make sure to rate and review this podcast. I'd love to hear any feedback you guys might have. And I'd love to share your guys' kind reviews over on the podcast Instagram. Recently, also, Spotify had an update where you can rate on Spotify. So if you are listening on Spotify, make sure to also rate on Spotify. Rating really does help out and I appreciate the minute that you guys take to rate and review. I hope you guys have a great week and I will see you guys next week for a new episode. <laughs>